The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Dr. Stanley Teitelbaum. Dr. Teitelbaum, a psychoanalyst in practice for over 35 years, is an expert on the potentially detrimental impact of fame on celebrity athletes, including self-defeating risky behaviors, mental health issues, and challenges related to an athlete's retirement from sports. In today's episode, we'll talk about both the perils and opportunities of fame as they relate to celebrity athletes. We'll provide suggestions on courses of action that can be helpful to athletes and their communities. Enhancing public awareness of these issues will also hopefully serve to increase empathy and support for celebrity athletes. Dr. Teitelbaum, I'm so honored to welcome you back to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hamda, it's so nice to be back on your show again. Thank you. As a psychoanalyst who specializes in individual group and couples therapy, I'm curious about what piqued your interest in issues related to fame and celebrity athletes? Well, you know, this uh, issue kind of combines two of my great loves, which I have a love for the field of psychology, which is my professional career. And as I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I love sports, especially baseball. And that uh, going out, I, I lived very close to Ebbets Field, and I could walk over there, and going out to the ballpark saved me from other more dangerous things that some of my friends were starting to get into, like drugs. And I didn't do that. I just went out to the ballpark and loved watching my Brooklyn Dodgers, and that created in me uh, an inspiration and a what became a lifelong love of sports. And as I became an adult and a professional, I found a way to combine those two loves, which is what leads me to this topic and to the uh, to the books that I've written and uh, other presentations that I've made about sports heroes. It sounds like then it's a wonderful opportunity for you to give back. And I want to mention those two books that you're referring to. One is called Sports Heroes, Fallen Idols, and the second, Athletes Who Indulge Their Dark Side, which bring us, brings us to the topic that we're really focusing on today. What are some of the ways that fame can have a corrupting influence on athletes? Well, it starts very early, unfortunately. Uh, what happens, I can tell you, what happens is uh, very often when, as early as eight years of age, eight years old, when that kid throws that first touchdown pass in peewee football or hits that first uh, home run in Little League, 
uh, he discovers that people are interested in him, that they're catering to him, that uh, they are coddling him, and he instantly is becoming a hero. And this is, this is what I think of what I call the conditioning process. He's conditioned, not just him, but girls as well. But from a very early age, often as young as eight, they are conditioned to become stars and to, uh, to think of themselves as being in a very special place where they can begin to do whatever they want without worrying too much about the consequences, which in turn leads them as they move further along into adulthood. Uh, many of our celebrity athletes become uh, engaged in moral or legal transgressions, such as, uh, you know, within and outside of the sports, but like sexual assaults, domestic violence, uh, gambling transgressions, substance abuse problems, and, uh, and so on. Uh, the, uh, just so you know, the FBI claims that every 15 seconds a woman is being beaten by a husband or a boyfriend, and I want to tell you a little more about that later in terms of how athletes uh, are susceptible and are at risk for being uh, you know, those kind of predators uh, as well. So that's the conditioning. That's the conditioning process, and part of that uh, comes from our culture, from our society, something that we call the celebrity worship syndrome, where uh, people in our country, especially in our country, have an excessive fascination with the lives of the rich and the famous. Uh, there have been uh, research that shows that nearly one-third of Americans have an unhealthy, an unhealthy interest in the lives of celebrities, which in extreme form can become an addiction. Now, celebrities include celebrity athletes, and so this kind of connects with what I was saying earlier, which is athletes are conditioned from a very, very young age to think of themselves in this zone of specialness. And as a result, they develop what I've come to call the acquired, distorted self-image, meaning that they, their personality, there are three main personality characteristics that enter into that, which are um, arrogance, grandiosity, and entitlement. They develop these personality characteristics, which, um, which combined I refer to as a toxic athlete profile, a toxic athlete profile, which makes them feel that they can proceed uh, and cross the line into you know, difficult uh, territories and as I was saying earlier, moral and legal transgressions often occur as a result of that. How much of this is in the mind of the athlete compared to how society actually responds? Like as an example, you were talking about the issue of consequences. So if you take a person who's not a celebrity or a celebrity athlete and they act in a way that, as you're suggesting, um, there's there's domestic violence, other defe- self-defeating, destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. What are, what are we doing as a society that also is supporting this type these types of realities? Well, my my point is that uh, athletes are more at risk because they're less concerned about the consequences of crossing the line uh, because they've been conditioned by the adoration of our society to think that they, they can do that. They can do whatever they want. And there are many examples where, you know, then they're, they're kind of bailed out. You know, uh, there have been situations where 
uh, an athlete is, um, you know, in a compromised position uh, with a woman in a nightclub, and um, the the manager or the coach comes in and quiets things down, and uh, instead of charges being uh, weighed against the athlete, uh, frequently he's often let off more readily. Uh, in terms of athletes and the law, um, there, there are many examples where athletes are held to a higher standard, but also where they're not held to a higher standard, where they're held to a lesser standard compared to the general population. What about the press, though, that's so prevalent nowadays? The impact of social media and other types of media exposure in these types of situations? Well, the, the the impact is great. There's so much publicity. Uh, athletes are, you know, now famous. Everything that they do is under scrutiny, and they have to be. I mean, this is one of the recommendations that I always like to make, which is they. It's like they wear a bullseye on their back because the minute they cross the line, it's reported instantly. And you know, in the old days, there was like a gentleman's agreement between athletes and the media, in which. Uh, anything negative in their personal lives went unreported. Well, in more recent times, for the past couple of decades, actually, that no longer is the case. Everything, in- increasingly, everything is now being not only reported. So it behooves all of the athletes to be that much more mindful that what they do, what where they go, what they, how they deal with themselves, is enormous responsibility. You know. that goes with being an athlete, but there's also a lot of responsibility that comes with that in terms of how you're going to comport yourself in, uh, in our society. So there's a certain empowerment that happens in this process of being, becoming celebrity that really can make anyone vulnerable to these types of behaviors, right? And until we're in that position, we don't always know how easily our buttons are going to be pushed. Yeah, well, you, you could say that, and you know, I'd like to focus more on on the uh, some of the athletes and experiences that I've had with some of them. Uh, so, um, for example, one of the things that uh, athletes uh, have been uh, have been involved in in crossing the line have been using performance enhancing drugs, and um, in addition to performance enhancing drugs, there are all kinds of supplements that athletes. Uh, have been using in order to increase their, you know, build their muscle and strength. So in in my book, Sports Heroes, Fallen Idols, I talk about uh, a baseball player by the name of Bobby Ojeda who was, at, who was asked the question, you know, did we cross the line of concern for our long-term health? A reporter asked him, asked him that question. You know, do we cross the line of concern for our long-term health when we take supplements or other kinds of drugs? And his response, as he was trying to break into the major leagues at that time, was, "You know what? When you are 21 and chasing a dream, there is no line." So you know, that kind of speaks to the mentality that many of these young athletes have when they're trying to become. Uh, to break into the major leagues of baseball, football, basketball, soccer, whatever, whatever it may be, and the uh, the risks that they're willing to put themselves under in in order to do so. Right, just this idea that especially at a young age, when there's so much pressure, there's so much competition, you're under the public eye, 
that sometimes it's easier to lose perspective about the line between what's healthy and, and then behaviors that aren't as healthy and also have long-term repercussions. Well, that's, that's really a good, way of, a good way of putting it. And I have, you know, another example. I had the opportunity uh, uh, not too many years ago of interviewing a um, Columbia University uh, college basketball player by the name of Fred Portnoy. And uh, he had been involved in, uh, in the scandals of 1961. So this goes back, you know, like 50, what is that, 55 years ago. And wh- one of the, uh, one of the, Major concerns in the sports leagues always has been about crossing the line, athletes crossing the line into gambling infractions, because that, more than anything else, sullies the integrity of the game. If an athlete in any way is involved in uh, in gambling activities or related to anything uh, to do with gambling, so uh, this young man uh, was about 20 years old, and uh, he was part of uh, a scandal back in the early 60s, of college basketball players who were taking bribes from, uh, from gamblers to, uh, to throw a basketball game. This, this man told me that in the interview that I did with him that he had accepted $1,000 for dumping, uh, meaning that for, uh, for agreeing to play poorly so that his team could lose a game by more than 12 points. That was the, the nature of the point spread at, at that time. And another incentive that many athletes have is to what we call shave points, meaning that uh, athletes will, that the gamblers will give them bribe money uh, saying it's okay, you can still win the game, but you have to win the game by fewer points than the actual point spread. So that often also has become an appealing incentive for those college athletes at that time to uh, to enter into that kind of transgression. Anyway, in, in the interview I did with him, I said, well, you know, you were you were caught. There was this whole scandal. It really ruined your whole career. Your whole future was in jeopardy because of that. Uh, how have you suffered from that? You know, what, how much shame did you experience because of, of that? And his response to me was really so interesting. He said something like, you know, at the time, I'm a, I'm a young kid, and others are doing the same thing, which is part of what was happening. He certainly was part of many. He said, you just don't realize, he said, you just don't realize the seriousness of what you're doing. It seems so simple. I took a thousand bucks, you know, which I, we, we, I came from a poor family in the Bronx. We didn't have any money. And it, it just seems so simple. So uh, that, that's what I did. I didn't realize the seriousness of, and the implications of what I was doing. But he said, the thing that troubled me more than anything else subsequently was the shame that it brought to my parents. My parents in the neighborhood were, were shamed by others throughout the neighborhood, and that tr- that's what troubled me more than anything else. So it wasn't so much about what he did that impacted on, that he felt impacted so much on the shame for his future, but more about the shame for his parents in their community. It's like putting a microscope on something, right? It's hard. It can be hard to believe, but sometimes when when you're doing something quietly, it cannot seem like such a serious transgression, right? And then once there's a microscope on it and you see that it affects people who are close to you in their lives, then it's a different issue. 
Well, and that's the thing, as as we were saying before, there is the microscope. The microscope is on 24/7 now, and to the extent that athletes are mindful of that, it can it can make a difference. I have a, another uh, example I'd, I'd like to bring in about you know, being mindful and the uh, the perils or dangers that uh, can follow if an athlete is not mindful of of you know how he's being or what he's saying. So there's an, uh, another good example in the world of Major League Baseball. Um, about 15 years ago, there was a pitcher by the name of John Rocker who was interviewed uh, by uh, a reporter for Sports Illustrated. And in the interview uh, that, that was then published in Sports Illustrated, uh, Rocker, uh, uh, this pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, uh, said, "I, you know what, I hate playing in New York. I hate playing in New York more than anywhere else. The reporter said, really, how come? He said, well, I'll tell you why. Imagine you're taking the train to the ballpark and and looking like you're riding through Beirut, and next you're sitting next to some kid with purple hair, and next to some queer with AIDS, right next to some dude who just got out of jail for the fourth time, right next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. It's depressing, he said. And the biggest thing I don't like about New York and playing in New York are the foreigners. Now, can you imagine, uh, this was like in the year 2000, can you imagine anyone saying those things today? They, and every athlete would probably be, would be mindful enough not to say that. And, and Rocker even said, well, he thought, you know, his, his comments were being taken somewhat out of context. But they were published, and they were published uh, as such. As a result, there was a frenzy. There was a whole frenzy in the, uh, in the media uh, by the public, it resulted with him being suspended for a month. He was fined for $20,000. He was required to do a psychological evaluation and sensitivity training. So that stands out as an example of how, you know, if, if you're not mindful, you can really cross the line in a way that uh, becomes very, very self-destructive. Now, a footnote to that very story is that uh, the, um, John Stossel, who was one of the uh, interviewers on the show 2020, I, I don't think he's doing it anymore, but a number of years ago he was uh, a regular interviewer, I think together with Barbara Walters at that time on uh, on the show 2020. And he did a segment uh, on this incident with John Rocca in which he, uh, he came to the defense of Rocca by pointing out that there are other athletes who have done more serious things like Jose Canseco hitting his wife or Charles Barkley throwing a man out of a, win- out of a window at a bar, and they were not punished. They were not uh, given penalties or suspensions. So, said Sassel on, on the air on his program in 2020, uh, how come violent speech, which Rocker was guilty of, is um, uh, more of a problem than violent actions? So that was kind of an interesting, an interesting footnote there. Dr. Talbam, we have about 15 seconds before we need to go to commercial. So if you can just comment very briefly on this. I'm just wondering, you were referencing 2000 uh, with this, these prejudicial statements by John Rocker. How much do you think things have changed till today? You know, in ter- we, we talked about the impact of the media, social media right. coverage, and more of a mindfulness and probably training also that athletes get around interviewing. Right. 
It's, it's a great question because it, it's uh, a very quick answer is that it has changed enormously, nevertheless, because they are they're getting all of this exposure and training and, and counseling about how to be and how not to be. Nevertheless, hardly, uh, hardly a day or two goes by when we don't see or hear of another scandal emerging in the world of sports. So they're increasingly aware of it. They're increasingly more mindful about the dangers, the perils of being a celebrity athlete. And at the same time, the scandals continue to, to, to occur. We'll talk more about this. We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we come back, Dr. Teitelmaum will share more about the destructive behaviors related to fame. And on the flip side, on a positive note, he'll also talk about enriching opportunities that fame provides. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a professional athlete, a retired athlete, or other top performer who's seeking a new career? Explore how to transfer your talents and mission into a rewarding business with the expert guidance of Hemda Mizrahi. As a performance coach and generalist consultant to entrepreneurs, Hemda will support you and your family in your next major professional transition. Create a winning game plan by contacting her through lifeandcareerchoices.com. That's lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Dr. Stanley Teitelbaum, a psychoanalyst whose expertise includes issues related to the impact of fame on celebrity athletes. 
Dr. Teitelbaum described the corrupting influences that fame can have and some of the self-defeating behaviors of celebrity athletes. Dr. Teitelbaum, is there anything more that you want to add about self-defeating behaviors? Well, I would just move on to the... Uh, an experience I had with another famous uh, football player by the name of Harry Carson. Uh, ha- uh, Harry Carson and I was a, uh, as I say, a very famous player with the football giants. And uh, here's a really good example of the uh, the risk that athletes are at for self-destructive behavior. Uh, I met Harry by virtue of being on a uh, television show together with him, and uh, the show was about uh, athletes who are self-destructive and in their uh, and sexual assaults toward women. Uh, so it, it was a combination of how sexually assaulting other uh, sexually assaulting women uh, also becomes very self-destructive because of the consequences. And he gave an example in uh, in his part of uh, on the show about. Uh, he, he had he was in a relationship uh, with, with his girlfriend who started a fight with him, and he said, you know, the the fight got heated up, and and one thing led to another, and we were arguing and arguing, and at one point she urged him to hit her, and he said, I was about to, I was about to haul off and hit her because I really was starting to lose it, and I felt very provoked by her. And something inside of me said, don't, Harry, do not touch this woman, because if you do, you're going to be on the front page of every newspaper tomorrow morning. He said, so I I was able to access that inner voice, so to speak. Something inside of me said, don't do this. I knew if I lashed out physically, I would have to pay a huge price for that. So, you know, that was kind of a very mature response of his, uh, and I always think of, of, of that as an example of how athletes need to find a way to not act out on some of these impulses, especially when they're feeling provoked, because the consequences can be very dangerous, and the media picks up on it immediately. You know, uh, domestic violence is is uh, is a constant issue um, for uh, our celebrity athletes in all of the in all of the sports leagues. So, you know, this is something that uh, athletes are very concerned about. And as we ended with the last segment, they are increasingly aware of this and more concerned about it. But it is still not sufficiently lessening the frequency of many of these kinds of incidents. Well, just like this example that you gave, self-regulation is one of the peak performance skills that elite athletes use so successfully. So it seems when you take a look at some of those skill sets that there are many skills that an athlete actually hones in performance that can be applied to these types of situations to preventing them. Yeah, but you know what the problem the problem is, and, and, and Harry Carson, I think, stands out as an example of someone who had it together. But uh, the problem is that uh, because uh, because of this um, conditioning process that I described earlier, they're programmed, they're conditioned to be insensitive to other people and other people's needs. In effect, this is what we you know call in psychology that they're lacking an, an empathy chip. So they're you know they're they're programmed they're conditioned to not think too much about other people's feelings and other people's needs and the, that puts them more more at risk more prone to cross these uh, cross these personal boundaries 
and that's that becomes a big problem. So looking at other people's needs as being equally important is is a key piece here. And I'm wondering as well, we really focused on talking about men. What about female athletes? Yeah, well, there are different... It's a good question, and there are different kinds of issues that come up with female athletes for the most part. There are some... You know, there are some incidents that uh, get headlines with, uh, you know, there are some examples of uh, female athletes being uh, too aggressive and and uh, being uh, uh, physical with uh, some of their partners and things of that sort. But for the most part, what is coming out about female athletes is that they, like many of the male, uh, their male counterpart athletes, also suffer from some of the mental health disorders. And we're going to, you know, I want to talk to you more about that a little bit later. But uh, that's you know that's where we can uh, highlight how some of the women athletes uh, are in the picture along with the men athletes. We talked a lot about potentially destructive behaviors. What about some of the positives, some of the opportunities available to athletes? Well, see, see, that's the thing. Because they are celebrity athletes, because they have fame, they're in a position. To uh, to do some really good things in our culture, in their in our society, they have the opportunity to do that, and so uh, I can mention a few examples of that, like uh, Joe Torre, who is a famous um, baseball player and a manager of the New York Yankees, and he comes from a home where there was domestic violence. He's very open in talking about that, and as a result, he developed a foundation called the Safe at Home Foundation. Now, the examples that I'm going to use uh, all come from athletes who have had personal experiences that have led them to develop a certain a certain kind of uh, foundation. So there there were in the in the National Football League in the NFL there are three uh, quarterbacks that stand out in having established these foundations. Sometimes it's it's been referred to as the curse of the quarterback because uh, each of these three players uh, have had uh, some tragedies in their personal lives, which then uh, led them to develop something really positive. The first would be uh, Doug Flutie, who was a quarterback, and um, uh, and he developed a foundation for autism uh, because he uh, he had you know he he had a child who is on the autistic spectrum. And the foundation uh, that he developed is to, you know, help uh, uh, help people who to get access and care and lead to more active lifestyles and grow and grow toward adult independence for those who suffer from, you know, being on the autistic spectrum and their families. The second one uh, is a uh, again a quarterback by the name of Boomer Esiason, and, and and these all happened, you know, after they completed their playing career. But Boomer Esiason, uh unfortunately, had a child who uh, had um, cystic fibrosis, which is a chronic inherited disease that affects the lung and the digestive system of children and adults. And uh, because of that, he developed his foundation uh, to um, raise money and awareness and support the cystic fibrosis community. And the third example was another quarterback by the name of Kurt Warner, 
who uh, who was um, married to uh, a woman who had had a uh, who had a child from a previous marriage, who suffered from Down syndrome, uh, a form of you know, retardation, mental retardation, and as a result of that. Uh, he, he and his wife developed the uh, foundation, the first, it's called the First Things First Foundation, uh, to, to work with, uh, with kids, uh, who suffer from, uh, and families, and provide them with opportunities to encourage them that all things are possible, even, the, even if they may be afflicted with uh, Down syndrome. So those are three, four examples of how uh, athletes can establish some very positive things because of their fame and do things that contribute very mightily uh, in, a, you know, in a very positive way to society. In situations where they have been personally impacted by particular causes that affect many, many people, they're yes. able to increase awareness and also support around these causes. Yes. And, and along with that, I, I might add as a, a very important side note, and it kind of fits in with everything we were talking about in the earlier segment, is how important it is for athletes to, uh, to embrace and accept the responsibility that comes with it being an athlete uh, in terms of being a role model that they have so much influence on on the kids that are growing up who look up to them and admire them. I remember myself when I was a kid, I had a role model uh, who was a, uh, a Major League Baseball player. And when I had an emergency appendectomy, as I was being wheeled into the uh, operating room, I was thinking of my role model who was very meaningful to me. It gave me a source of connection and a source of hope that I was going to have my appendectomy and get better and get back to uh, making my connection by going out to the ballpark and seeing my role model. So it's very important that athletes uh, understand and embrace uh, the responsibility of being a role model, and many of them in- increasingly do. And in the New York area, we have Derek Jeter and uh, and David Wright on the Yankees and Mets, respectively, who have been very aware of that role and have been very upstanding examples for for the kids. And that's in contrast to some other athletes. One particularly who comes to mind is Charles Barkley, a famous basketball player who now is also a commentator who has uh, been on record as saying, you know, I don't want to, I'm not a role model. I don't want to be a role model. That's not my responsibility. That's the responsibility of parents. And I always say back to him, I'm sorry, Sir Charles. I'm sorry, Sir Charles. But you know what? It comes with the territory. If you're up there on that pedestal and you're being adored and admired by all of these millions of kids, it comes with the territory. You are a role model, and you have to also take on some of that responsibility. For athletes who feel hampered or inhibited somehow by this role, this pressure, is there any uh-huh. advice that you can offer on how to make it a little bit more manageable? Well, I, th- I think, like you know, like we're saying, people are—they're getting training, they're getting seminars, they're being told by psychologists that come in to talk to the teams about many of their off-the-field responsibilities, and and they keep that in mind. And, and especially if the leaders of the team are acting in a responsible way, the other members of the team tend to go along with that and to follow that. And it's all about mindfulness. It's all about being aware 
of, you know, it's not only a gravy train to be a, a celebrity athlete. There also are celebrities, and, and this is being, you know, told to them in, in so many different ways so much of the time, but it's important for them to embrace it, for them to internalize it, and to live their lives accordingly and to be aware of these kind of things on an ongoing basis. So that's, you know, that's, a, that's the responsible side of being an athlete. It's not only the, the joy of being admired and adored, it's also the, the responsible side of, you know, what comes along with that. Also, I think the example that you gave is a great one of your own experience. I would guess that almost every athlete, if not every athlete, had someone that they looked up to who helped inspire their journey to be where they are. And so just connecting with their own experience and what it meant to them might help as well. Absolutely. Uh, that becomes very meaningful. And, uh, and many of the athletes do talk that way. They all say, they all, many of them do talk about who their hero was when they were growing up and how meaningful and important it was for them to model themselves. Modeling becomes an important point here, to model, to model themselves after the way they saw their star athlete performing on and off the field. I would think also like the other examples that you gave about foundations, that if athletes can even hone in on one or two causes that they personally connect with tremendously, then those are some of the trademark qualities and connections that people can have around that particular athlete. Yes, and, and that in turn, you see, it becomes, what's the opposite of a vicious cycle? It's, it's a constructive, a positive cycle. That kind of reinforces for the athlete the feeling that of, you know, how worthwhile he is, not just for his performance on the field, but because of the influence that he's having in a very helpful way to all kinds, thousands, millions of other people, mostly the kids. It seems also that it's an important part of actually expanding identity for the athletes themselves, mm -hmm. that not yeah. just in terms of how society will see an athlete and, and be affected by an athlete, but also for the athlete to have an expanded identity that will carry forth after they leave sport as well. I would say absolutely. I would, I would totally agree with that. Yes. And most of them, I think, are, again, they're very aware of that. Most of them can do that, but uh, there are many who still falter. And these are the ones that we hear about and, uh, you know, who cross the line. Have to learn from these experiences. They have to learn from these experiences. Their teammates have to learn from these experiences, not to make the same kind of uh, mistakes that some of their teammates uh, have been making and are being penalized for. We need to take a minute to go to a quick commercial. So we, you touched base briefly on the, on the issue of mental health, and we talked very briefly also about retirement. So when we come back, Dr. Teitelbaum will discuss some of the mental health issues that celebrity athletes may encounter, including ones that can emerge when they retire from sports. Stay with us for more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. 
Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join Lori H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business and syndicated to Voice America Women's Channel. Are you a professional athlete, a retired athlete, or other top performer who's seeking a new career? Explore how to transfer your talents and mission into a rewarding business with the expert guidance of Hemda Mizrahi. As a performance coach and generalist consultant to entrepreneurs, Hemda will support you and your family in your next major professional transition. Create a winning game plan by contacting her through lifeandcareerchoices.com. That's lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Dr. Stanley Teitelbaum a psychoanalyst who's well-versed in both the perils and opportunities of fame for celebrity athletes. Dr. Teitelbaum discussed some of the self-defeating, risky behaviors to which celebrity athletes may be vulnerable, as well as the opportunities that fame offers to serve as a role model and promote social causes. In this final segment, we'll address mental health issues, including those that may emerge when sports heroes retire. Dr. Tettelbaum, what are some of the most prevalent mental health issues in the celebrity athlete community? Well, you know, the, the mental health issues, uh, uh, let's put it this way, athletes are no strangers to mental health issues. They have mental health issues just like other people have mental health issues. But what happens very often is that the, uh, the, the sports establishment have not been very welcoming in understanding or accepting their mental health issues. So that kind of kind of kicks back upon the athletes who then they're struggling with their own sense of denial about having a mental health issue like anxiety or depression or uh, or bipolar syndrome. And athletes don't want to see themselves that way, so there's a tendency for them to be in denial. And then when the sports establishment responds in a way that indicates they don't accept or understand it, it just reinforces that complication. 
So, for example, with uh, with depression, uh, famous NFL quarterback Terry Bradshaw, who now is a TV uh, anchor person on football, who has suffered from depression and has been very open about it, he said something like, you know, we're supposed to be tough guys. When I was when I expressed my that I was depressed, the response I got was, "You you think you have depression? That's not depression. Shoot, that's not depression. That's weakness." That's how he was responded to. And another example from uh, one of the New York Mets baseball players, uh, a pitcher by the name of Pete Harnish, said uh, he got depressed after some physical problems, and he felt he couldn't uh, perform up to the standard of his ability, and he confided to the team's manager some of his symptoms of depression, like he was having a lot of trouble sleeping, things of that sort, and according to Harnish, he said the manager chewed him out in front of the other players and, and called him gutless. So rather than understanding or trying to reach out, um, he was sort of um, dismissed as being gutless. A third example uh, would be another baseball player uh, who, who said, you know, he put it this way, if you, if you blow out a knee or if you get in trouble with the law, or if you fail a drug test, the rest of the team is there to, to help you back. But if you suffer an emotional injury, that becomes a big mark against you. So that, again, speaks to the attitude that many athletes are, uh, are up against when, when it emerges or when they reveal uh, their own fragility in terms of anxiety or depression or other, other kinds of mental disorders. With anxiety in golf, it's a well-known something called the yips, which um, has to do with um, golfers who are unable to putt effectively because of uh, the anxiety syndrome kicking in. Uh, Major League Baseball players can suffer from performance anxiety. There are examples of that where routine plays in the infield uh, no longer seem to be possible for certain athletes. So, so I, I would like to uh, bring up another one last point about uh, uh, mental health issues. There's a very well-known incident of a famous baseball player by the name of Jim Pearsall, who was belatedly diagnosed as having a bipolar disorder. And he was doing all kinds of strange things on the field, and uh, he wound up in a mental hospital. He got treated for his bipolar disorder, and a very happy ending. The reason I want I bring in this story is because when he got the treatment that he needed, he returned to have a very productive 17-year career, and subsequently he became a very long-standing, well-renowned uh, uh, baseball announcer uh, for one of the teams in Chicago. So, you know, when, when mental... Mental health issues strike athletes before or later in their careers or even afterwards. Uh, when they're getting the proper treatment for it, that that becomes very plausible and it can be worthwhile and they can resume a very productive life. It sounds like you're suggesting in order to reap these benefits that you've seen, that there are examples of we need to make sure that within the athletic community, there's enough support that's available because you mentioned that there's denial both in the community and also with the athletes themselves around the emotional issues. The, the, the community being the sports establishment, yes. You know, they're so focused 
on the importance of the athlete producing and on the revenues generated from uh, how the athletes play that they often can turn a deaf ear toward the uh, you know the personal or emotional or mental health problems that an athlete may be having. What about the role so, though, of sports psychologists and other therapeutic professionals who are part of the teams of elite athletes? Well, I think every every team now more or less uh, has some uh, psychologist affiliated with the team, but primarily that his job or her job is to work with the players. And uh, there's not enough opportunity for those mental health professionals to work with educating the, uh, you know, the the owners, the management, and the people who are in charge of of the team. And that's where more education needs to come in, so that they can have a very different kind of receptive attitude toward athletes who may be suffering from mental health problems. It seems like there's an increasing focus on mental skills required for peak performance and dealing with anxiety and other types of emotional triggers that take place. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like what you're suggesting is that coaches and other people who are focusing more on uh, the physical performance, tactical performance, need to also be a little bit more mindful of the importance of dressing, addressing and encouraging athletes to address the emotional aspects. Well, they have to they have to acquire and be exposed to the equivalent set of skills in how to in, in how to deal with athletes. That's, that's the point. It's not just the athletes that have to be mindful, but it's the uh, the powers that be in the sports establishment that also need to be more mindful, so that when they are more receptive to an athlete's problem, that works better for the athlete. The athlete then gets the help that he needs, and then that works to the best interest of the team. Viewing the emotional aspects as being just as important as the physical aspects. Yes, very important. Of course, I'm a psychologist, so that's what I highlight. But absolutely, that's been underplayed and under-recognized for too long. What about some of the special issues that come up related to retirement? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very thorny problem because, uh, as we were saying earlier, uh, because of the way they've been conditioned, uh, not to have empathy, not to be too concerned about the feelings of other people and being adored and catered to from a very young age, it becomes a very difficult uh, adjustment problem for athletes once they retire. And there are certain very um, disturbing statistics that I can share with you, which is that, uh, for example, within five years of retirement, 60, 60% of former NBA players go broke, even though the average NBA salary is $5 million. Within two years, 78% of all former NFL players become bankrupt because they are suffering under financial uh, or are suffering under financial stress. How and why does this happen? Because the athletes who excel in, in their sport they are clueless about managing their wealth, and they get involved in investment scams and disrepu- or disreputable advisors. From 1998 to 2002, $32 million was, was lost by 78 players who got involved with the wrong deals or had the worst advisors. So 
part, this is all part of the difficulties that athletes have when they start to retire and, and enter into the, their regular lives, and they don't know how to look after themselves. They don't know how to manage their, their, uh, their, their accumulated wealth, which has been substantial. And they're also at um, a tremendous amount of risk in their personal lives because another study reveals that over 60% of players divorce within three years of retirement. And the divorce settlements can be somewhat astronomical. Tiger Woods' divorce settlement cost him $100 million. Michael Jordan's divorce settlement cost him $150 million. In Major League Baseball, there's a very high incidence of separation and divorce in newly retired athletes. Uh, some, in some studies, they say it's as close, as close to 80% when baseball players' uh, marriages do end in divorce. Uh, and oh, when, when baseball players' marriages end in divorce, almost 50% fall apart within 18 months after retiring. So these are very, you know, very serious, very ominous statistics, uh, which talk about the lack of, I think in many ways, the lack of preparedness and the lack of maturity that many of our athletes have, that they're, they're not equipped to deal with, with, with life and make the adjustment into their lives. Uh, at the point of retirement. We have just a few minutes left in, until wrap-up, so I would love for you to be able to offer some suggestions around th- some of these realities. Okay. Well, what, what's most important, I think, is that when an athlete retires, it, it's essential that he find or she find new directions in the transition. You know, so, Some of our athletes are fortunate enough to find positions within their sport and they become a coach or a manager or a broadcaster or a TV commentator, uh, or, they, or they have their own show. And others migrate to productive jobs, maybe in becoming stockbrokers or, in some cases, congressmen, insurance salesmen, uh, and, and, and spokespersons. Those who become spokespersons, by the way, generally derive a good, a strong sense of well-being because they feel that they're contributing something in a very meaningful way to society. What's important is to transition to something that feels meaningful. There was an interview recently in Sports Illustrated of uh, baseball star Hank Aaron, who recalled uh, when he spoke to Jackie Robinson many, many, many years ago, what Robinson said to him was, it's great to play baseball, but the most important thing is what you do after you leave the game. So it's the transition that becomes very important, and you know, how to do that, and how to find something that is meaningful, whether it's some of the things that I mentioned earlier, or in addition, many athletes uh, get involved in doing seminars to high school and college students about values and integrity and leadership through sports, uh, and talk about some of the dangers and temptations that they had to face and that they dealt with in a way to prepare uh, young athletes to to deal with these situations in a more healthy kind of way. I'm curious about any advice you might have for couples as an athlete transitions out of sport. Well, one of the things that I'm interested in is, uh, especially in view of some of the statistics that I mentioned to you about the high frequency of uh, separation and divorce, uh, I'm very interested in also trying to do some work with 
with the families or the or the wives of famous athletes who 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 in retirement become in a position to expect a different kind of relationship from their husbands and how to help them to deal more effectively with the husbands who are struggling to in their transition to become uh, more of a partner in in the relationship this is a very slippery slope and a lot needs to be done in that area for both the retired athletes and in working with their spouses as well there's so much to talk about on this topic so i want to thank you and i also want to point to some of the resources that are available for our listeners to delve deeper into this. So first of all, as, as sports fans and observers of celebrity athletes, we might be enticed to primarily focus on the glamorous aspects of being a celebrity. So I really appreciate the insight that you offer about some of the even life-threatening circumstances that celebrity athletes can face if they don't receive the support they need to help them manage their time both in and out of the spotlight. And I hope that today's episode helps us all to be more empathic. If you're a celebrity athlete, a former athlete, or the family member of, or friend of an athlete who needs support in addressing the issues we discussed during this episode, you can reach Dr. Teitelbaum through his website, stanleyteitelbaum.com. I'm going to spell that for you. It's S-T-A-N-L-E-Y, Teitelbaum, T-E-I-T-E-L-B-A-U-M. Dr. Teitelbaum also conducts talks and consults with professional sports organizations on these topics and welcomes you to reach out to him through his website. You can also learn more through his books, Sports Heroes Fallen Idols, Athletes Who Indulge Their Dark Side, and Illusion and Disillusionment, all of which are available through Amazon. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.